right, we're going to jump into our message series. Dean's going to join me today. He's team teaching with me. I want to I, I start today by talking about prison, which may seem like kind of an odd topic to talk about I- at, at Christmas time, but uh, you'll understand how this all fits together as we, as we move through this teaching time today. Uh, as a pastor, I've had lots of opportunities to spend time in prison. Uh, I've never been an inmate, but I have... Uh, <laughs> Many connectors have, and that's okay. It's part of it's part of our journey back to Christ, right? Uh, but I've I've spent a lot of time visiting people in in prison or jail, and lots of different experiences. I've been in federal prisons, I've been in local jails, and uh, and, and it's always kind of an interesting experience to be inside uh, of one of those detention facilities. Um, last summer, Chris and I had an extraordinary experience when we were in Indonesia. Uh, Our missionary that we were visiting there, Nikki Stubbs, who's like a daughter to us, uh, she took us to a prison where she ministers every single week. Uh, It's called uh, Karabokan Prison. And let me tell you, prisons in Indonesia are nothing like American prisons. Just a mind-blowing experience. I'm not going to go into that today. But I've had lots of experiences. And uh, one one of the prison experiences that I'll, I'll never forget happened when Chris and I were on our very first mission trip together uh, about 20 years ago. Chris's mom and dad had become missionaries in Mexico, and they were serving in a city called Los Mochis. And uh, we took a team of people from our church down uh, to minister with them for a, for a couple of weeks. And one of our uh, opportunities for ministry was visiting a man who was in a spiritual prison. Now, this is different than being in a physical prison. Uh, his name is Martin, uh, and, uh, and when I say he was in a spiritual prison, he had become a slave, literally, to the devil. He had pledged his life to Satan, and, uh, and, and he, had, he, he would manifest in such a way that it, it became pretty clear to all of us that he was possessed by by demons or by the devil. He was spiritually imprisoned by the dark forces of the spiritual realm. Um, He was also more or less in a physical prison. He was kept in a little brick hut uh, that really couldn't be secured. He was very violent, and so his family had chained him into the corner of this little brick hut, and he wouldn't wear any clothing, so he was naked all the time, and they would come in and just throw food to him because he was so violent, they were afraid to get close to him. And, um, and so we went as a team of Christian people to minister to him and, and to see if we could break through the spiritual prison that he was in. It's interesting, uh, we have a, a Connect Church campus in Great Falls, and the, our campus pastor, Bob Fick, he was actually with us on that mission trip 20 years ago. And uh, when we were talking about this this week, he was able to find video that he took 20 years ago and he converted it to a digital file. And I want you to see the ministry that took place to this man. His name is Martin in Los Mochis. Take a look. Well, as you can see, this man was held captive. It was not only the building that he was in that he was chained in, but also his spirit was held captive. And we don't have to be in prison to be held captive by things. It could be a spiritual problem, maybe an emotional thing, or even a behavior that can, that can hold us captive in our hearts. It could be that when you were growing up, 
maybe you heard a lot of words like, you're worthless, you're a loser. And those words had a tremendous impact on you so much that, that you were held captive by those things. Maybe it's you have a load of guilt and shame on your heart today, and it's holding you captive. You're in a prison. We don't have to be in a physical prison. Or it could be that um, you were rejected as a child. When I was in third grade, um, I, I hated third grade. The reason why is during, during the uh, recess period, we'd go out and play, and there was this one kid that just bullied me the whole time, and he was always threatening me. I'm going to beat you up if you don't do what I tell you to do. And so I tried to stay away from this kid as much as I, as much as I could, but he still had a huge impact on me. And I couldn't tell the teachers. There were no teachers on the playground at that time. Um, it's changed now a lot, which is great, but I couldn't tell my teachers. And when I tell, told my parents about it, they had their own problems. So I basically got anno- uh, ignored. And so I grew up with, with a lot of fear in my life. And that was holding me captive. And I had a mistrust of men. And today... It took me a long time to develop relate good relationships with men. I've had a lot of bad relationships, but the best relationship I have with a man now is my son. He's my best friend, which is awesome. And just recently, I've been able to develop good relationships with men. And uh, those kind of things, that fear, really, really held me down, really held me down. And so my question to you today is, What's keeping you captive? What prison are you in today? And so we're going to dive into this a little, a little bit and share with you some his, hidden treasures about gaining freedom from these things that hold us down. We're going to start in Luke chapter 2 where we've been hanging out. Uh, if you've got your Bibles with you this morning, uh, you may want to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 2. Everything won't be up on the screen, and not everything is printed in your notes. Uh, last week, we left off in the Christmas story with the shepherds and the angels and the Gloria in Excelsis Deo. And we're going to finish up this series today by talking about the rest of the story at the end of Luke chapter 2. And I'll be honest with you, I don't believe I've ever heard a Christmas teaching message on this part of Luke chapter 2 that I'm going to be sharing with you today. It's kind of one of the forgotten pieces of the Christmas story, but it's really, really beautiful and, and powerful uh, when, we, when we dig into it. So I'm going to start at uh, verse 22 in Luke chapter 2. And uh, what we see here is that Mary and Joseph are now taking the baby Jesus to Jerusalem to fulfill the requirements of the law. And if you've ever read this story, you might have assumed that what they were doing was taking him to Jerusalem to be circumcised, but that would have happened much earlier. Jesus was now a little bit older, and they were going to Jerusalem to to perform a a, a ritual of consecration for Jesus. And it was very timely this week as I was reading in my daily uh, Bible reading, I actually read the Old Testament laws this very week that Mary and Joseph were obeying here, and it was the laws of the firstborn. And for, uh, 
For Jews that were following Old Testament law, what they were required to do was anything that was born first, any animal in their household that was born first had to be sacrificed to the Lord. So if you were a cattle uh, keeper and your cow had uh, a calf, the first one would have to be sacrificed to the Lord. If you were a sheep farmer, I think you're going to tell a story about a sheep. Uh, you, you were a little, uh, you, you part, your dad had a sheep farm, got a little tongue tied. Uh, and, and in the Old Testament code, if, if your sheep had a lamb, that lamb, the first one, had to be sacrificed. And here's what's interesting. According to the Old Testament law, this also applied to human beings. The first male child that a woman had would be consecrated to the Lord. But because God loves human beings and we are created in his image, he made a way for us, for for human beings under the law, to offer a substitute sacrifice. And this was called being redeemed. And so a mom and dad could go to the temple and they could bring a sacrificial animal in place of their son to sacrifice so that he wouldn't have to pay the penalty of sin. This was all wrapped up in the concept of sin and forgiveness. And so what Mary and Joseph were doing is they were traveling to Jerusalem with Jesus and probably with a sacrifice as well because they were going to redeem the Redeemer. Isn't that fascinating? They were going to Jerusalem with the Redeemer in their arms and they were going to redeem him. And so uh, in in the story in verse 25, then there's a, a character that's introduced. His name is Simeon. He lives in Jerusalem. He's not a priest or anything, but the Bible tells us that he's righteous and devout and he's full of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit had told him that he would not die until he saw the Messiah, until he laid eyes on the Redeemer. And so as Mary and Joseph are coming into Jerusalem, Simeon is prompted by the Holy Spirit to go to the temple and there he encounters Mary and Joseph and Jesus. And in verse 28, we read, Simeon took Jesus in his arms and praised God, saying this. And this has become a song that has been sung through the centuries, uh, these next four verses that Simeon sings or says in praise to the Lord. He says this, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. If you're taking notes this morning, what I want you to do is circle that word dismiss on your note card or even in your Bible, circle this word. It's a key word that we're going to talk about today. You may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. Now, this is the last song in this collection of four songs in Luke chapters 1 and 2. We've talked about the song of Mary. We've talked about the song of Zechariah. Last week we talked about the song of the angels, Gloria in Excelsis Deo. And this is the last one. Uh, In traditional churches they refer to these songs as canticles because they're hymns that are found right in the New Testament. And in Latin this song is known as Nunc Dimittis. Nunc Dimitis, which means you may now dismiss. Turn to your neighbor and say nunc dimitis. 
There you go. Now you speak Latin. Isn't that cool? <laughs> Nunc dimittis. You may now dismiss. And it's assumed, it's widely assumed by Christians that after Simeon saw Jesus, he was dismissed from life by the Lord. That he died not long after that. And that may be true. But it's kind of interesting how this song has been used. If any of you are from a Catholic background or an Episcopal background, traditional high church, uh, you are probably familiar with this song because it is traditionally sung at the end of things. It's traditionally sung at the end of a worship service. It's traditionally sung at the end of a funeral, for example. Uh, in in uh, monasteries or in convents, this song is often, if not daily, sung at the evening prayers just before everybody goes to bed. It's, it's very traditional, a very part of Christian worship through the centuries. And uh, I'd like you just to hear a little bit of this song. Uh, actually, uh, this very song and, and what we're going to listen to was a piece that was sung at Margaret Thatcher's funeral not long ago. So, so listen to this. that's really beautiful. Do you think it's beautiful? Um, very, very beautiful, but it's very somber, right? Because it's used at the end. Very different from the song we studied last week, which was Gloria in excelsis. Why am I singing alone? That but very different, right? Very different. And, and you could almost say that that nunc dimittis might even be a little sad or depressing. And, and I don't know if that, it makes you feel that way. But what I want you to see today is there's a hidden meaning that it would be easy for us to overlook here in this song. And I want to take us a little bit deeper into the meaning of one word in Simeon's song. Simeon prayed, Lord, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. You may now dismiss your servant in peace. And I want to take you to that word dismiss. It's almost like, like Simeon is saying, just, just let me die. Just let me go, let me die, let me go to sleep. But there's more. Actually, this week I, uh, I took a screenshot. Well, I'm getting ahead of myself. Go to the next slide, Shane, please. There we go. In your notes, you can fill this out. The English word dismiss the Latin word dimitis, I had you say that, or the Greek word apolio. Turn to your neighbor and say apolio. Now you speak Latin and Greek. 
apolio. The New Testament is written in Greek. So when we're going to talk about definitions of words, it's important that we go to the Greek word that's used in the Bible. And apolio is the word that Simeon used in his prayer. Lord, now you may apolio your servant in peace. And I I looked this up this week, and as soon as I took a look at the meanings of this word, I got so excited. And I took a screenshot of my computer today because I want you to see uh, a Bible dictionary and what this word means. Because it's not simple, and it doesn't mean just go away, all right? The word apolio in the Greek language means, definition number one, means to set free. That's kind of interesting. But let's look a little deeper. Definition number two means to let go or to dismiss or to detain no longer. And that letter A there makes reference to a petitioner. What this is describing, how this word was used, is if somebody was involved in criminal activity, for example, if you were were at a crime scene and the police thought maybe you were involved in the crime in some way, they would detain you. They would take you to the police station, you might be questioned, and when they realized you had nothing to do with the, with the crime, they would apolio you. You would be dismissed from all charges. All right? This is what this word means in its second definition. But the third definition is even more interesting. It means to let go or to release, and specifically it's talking about a captive Somebody who is a prisoner, someone who is in a physical prison or a spiritual prison, who has been released from bondage. Somebody who has been given their liberty, who was previously captive to whatever prison they were in. This is one of the meanings of the Greek word apolio. Now, there's a couple of other meanings here. Number four is actually a term uh, used in divorce. It's talking about a person who is dismissed from their home. The person that no longer gets to live in the house is a polio sent away. Uh, That's kind of a sad use of the word. And the last one is the one uh, that really in in Luke chapter two is, is translated dismissed. Someone who's just sent away, departed. But what's beautiful here is that when Simeon prayed, And he said, Lord, now you may dismiss your servant in peace. He used this Greek word apolio with all of its meaning. He wasn't just wishing for God to let him die. He wasn't just feeling relieved because now he could check one more thing off of his bucket list before he goes to meet his maker. He had a deeper meaning here, I believe, when he prayed this. And I believe what he was sensing was that now that I have seen the Messiah... I can be released from my prison. Now, I don't know what Simeon's prison was. I don't know if, if his prison was, was some sort of playlist in his head that just played over and over and over and kept in, him in some kind of bondage. I don't know if he was in any spiritual bondage. I don't know what it might have been for him, but I believe that Simeon, when he prayed this prayer, that word was just pregnant with meaning. Lord, now that I've seen the Messiah... I have been released. I have been set free. I'm no longer in this prison of of whatever it is that controls me. And I fundamentally believe this morning that Simeon was singing 
Because the Messiah had come to free us from prison. One of the reasons I believe in singing is because I believe Jesus sets us free. And every single one of us who, who knows Jesus today, we can look back to the, the chains of prison that we've been in and we can say, Jesus has set me free. Some of us, even if we call ourselves Christians, we're walking with Jesus, we're still struggling with some sort of a bondage. I don't know what it is for you, but sometimes those chains are slow to be broken. But Jesus came to set us free. And this is why we sing. This is why we worship. It's because Jesus sets us free. Now I want to ask the question, and this is how we'll finish today. I want to ask the question, how does Jesus set us free from our prisons? And Dean's going to share number one with us. We're going to take a look at John 8.32. And this is Jesus speaking. He says, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Well, what is truth and how does it work? And I went ahead and looked up that word. I was kind of curious. I wanted to see what they said in the Greek about that word and how it pertains to this verse. And in the Greek, it means something that's real. It means reality. And a lot of, a lot of the things that we deal with are lies. And we're held in bondage to those things. Um, one of the things for me that I was held in bondage with was... I thought I was a worthless person. I didn't, I didn't have a whole lot of value in myself. And it's something I dealt with for many, many years. And so this hasn't been too long ago that I, I, went, to, I went to the Word. That's where I started. I said, God, you've got to change me because I'm just so sick and tired of beating myself up. I mean, at, at some point, I called myself God's whooping boy, you know. Mm. And uh, that's a terrible thing to say now that I look back on it. <clears throat> but I had, I had to do something to change, and I just pleaded to God, please help me. So I started out in the Word of God. I started out in Psalms 139, where it says, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. Yeah. He's talking to me, and he's talking to you. And there's another part in, in Psalm 39 that I just love, and it says, my thoughts about you cannot be numbered. Did you know God thinks about you all the time? He thinks about you all the time, each one of you. And so I began to take that in. I kind of planted a seed in my heart, and it began to grow. And I kept praying, God, change me. And even a lot of the stuff that I was telling myself, I didn't even know what I was telling myself. I just know that I felt horrible. And so I let God in, and he changed me. And I think we need both of those things. We need to be... In this book, yeah. right here. Romans 12, 2 says, Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed from the renewing of your mind. And that's why this is so important. We need to be washed by the word as often as we possibly can because we have a world out there that's lying to us over and over and over again. I want to tell you a little story. Um, when I was a kid, I grew up on a sheep farm. Russ talked about it earlier. And my dad had a 1,000 head of sheep on, on, this, on this farm. And 
I don't even know why he got into sheep farming. He was a wheat farmer. Then he went into sheep farming. He absolutely hated it. I mean, I remember him taking shotgun shells and taking all the BBs out and putting salt in the in the shotgun shells. And he would always say, I'm going to go out and I'm going to shoot one of these sheep with the, with this salt. He would get so angry. And I never really saw him do that, but um, it's something that he really, really struggled with. And on the sheep farm, sheep are, it's like a 24-7 hour job. I mean, sheep, they just love to get into trouble. I mean, we were always pulling them out of mud holes. They would always get worms. They'd always get out of the, you know. It just goes on and on. We had 50 head in this one in this one pasture, and somehow they got out in the middle of the night. And they we had this train run through right along our, our pasture, and it ran right by our house. And these sheep, where did they go? Right to the tracks. Why they went to the tracks, I'm not sure. And so sheep, they sometimes huddle in groups, so they got on this track, and they just huddled there. They just stayed there. And I can't imagine what it was like, um, if you can put it in human terms and use your imagination a little bit, to see this, see this train coming towards you in this huge bright light, and you would think those sheep could feel the rumbling of this train coming towards them. But they were comfortable where they were. They were comfortable. I think they probably were confused as the train got closer and closer. And we got a call that morning, and I remember it clearly from the railroad, and we went and checked it out, and none of those sheep survived. None of them. They thought they were safe. Well, my message to you today is get off the tracks. Get off the tracks. There's danger coming. Stop believing the lies. Stop believing the lies. Well, there's another side of the coin to this whole thing. There's truth, and then there's grace. Now I'm going to turn that over to Russ. All right, so Jesus sets us free with truth. Secondly, he sets us free with grace. I'm not the first one, Dean, to make the observation that when Jesus called us sheep, it was not a compliment. (laughs) I have a lot of stories, believe me. Jesus sets us free with with grace. Great, great verse in Ephesians chapter 1 that says this. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. I love this verse. It's so beautiful. And it talks about how we're set free. We're set free because Jesus was that substitute sacrifice for me and for you. So the Bible says anybody that sins has to pay for the sin with death. And Jesus died so that you and I don't have to. And the only reason it worked was because he was sinless. He never sinned. He never did anything wrong. He was perfect. He was the one and only sacrifice that could ever be offered for us. And he came and he, he, he substituted himself so that we wouldn't have to. This is grace. Great definition for grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. 
I don't know if you've ever heard this. It's a great definition. And what's that saying? What, what that's saying is that everything that God has, everything that God is, everything that God does, he's so rich, he's created everything, and everything becomes a gift to me because Jesus Christ died. And I am set free from the bondage that I find myself in because Jesus sets me free and Jesus is full of grace. In John chapter one, we read some beautiful words about Jesus and these verses are often read at Christmas time. They're probably familiar to you if you've spent any time in church. Uh, It says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. This is talking about Jesus. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. How are we set free from prison? We're set free by truth. We're set free from grace. And John says Jesus is full of both of these things. He's full of grace and he's full of truth. Verses 16 and 17 just go on to to affirm that and reinforce that, that Jesus is full of grace and truth. And if you're taking notes this morning, this is the big idea that I hope you'll jot down. Jesus is full of grace and truth. He is full. He is completely the embodiment of both grace and truth. One of the things that I love is is in in reading the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You see this played out in such a beautiful way. Jesus is full of grace and truth. And there are times when Jesus just wraps people in his grace like a blanket. He encounters a woman who's been caught in the act of adultery. Blows my mind. And all the accusers come. They want to stone her. and, And Jesus sends them all away. And then he says to her, I don't condemn you. He, he wraps her in his grace like a blanket. Other times, Jesus uses truth like a hammer. Remember the story about when Jesus goes into the temple and he finds these people profiting off the sacrificial system and he is so enraged that he turns their, their tables over and rebukes them and, and it's just truth like a hammer. He calls the Pharisees hypocrites. He calls them a brood of snakes. He tells them they're whitewashed tombs. Jesus wasn't very nice sometimes. The truth was a hammer. But but John tells us Jesus was full of grace and truth. It was the embodiment of his nature. And this is why Isaac Watts wrote the fourth verse of Joy to the World. You remember the fourth verse? You can sing it with me. Thank you. I I forgot it for a minute and you knew it. He rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness and wonders of his love and wonders of his love and wonders, wonders of his love. We started this message series three weeks ago in Psalm 98. And Dean actually read Psalm 98, part of it, at the very beginning of this message series, the Sunday after Thanksgiving. And I want to read a few of the verses from that psalm again this morning. This is what Isaac Watts based Joy to the World on. It's fascinating to read these verses. 
Verse 7 says, let the sea roar and all that fills it, the world and all those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the hills sing for joy together before the Lord. For he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. And here's something that most people don't know about the song Joy to the World. It's based upon this psalm. And Isaac Watts, hundreds of years ago, wrote this song, not as a Christmas carol, but as a prophetic song looking forward to the second coming of Jesus Christ. When Jesus will come to judge the world. He will come to judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. And we will be filled with joy. Those of us who know him will be filled with joy. That's why verse 1 says, Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Is, present tense, looking forward to him coming any day now. But what I think is important to know when we're talking about grace and truth is that when Jesus comes again, he will come as a judge. The book of Revelation looks forward to that day and describes Jesus in this way in in Revelation 19. From his mouth came a sharp sword to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron rod. He will release the fierce wrath of God Almighty like juice flowing like a winepress. This is scary language. And I don't know about you, but I am so thankful that I'm wrapped in the blanket of the grace of Jesus. Because when Jesus comes again, I don't have to face the fierce wrath of God flowing like juice from a winepress. We live in a time of blessing. And we live in an age in which the grace of God is available to you and me. And, and we need the truth of Jesus, absolutely. We need to reorient the way we think. We need, to, uh, we need to purge those old playlists that play over and over in our minds and keep us in captivity. We need the truth of Jesus, but it's tempered with his grace and his mercy now while there is an opportunity. But someday when Jesus comes again, the, the season for grace will be passed. And and if we have not wrapped ourselves in the grace of Jesus, we will face the fierce wrath of God. I don't know about you, but it makes me chilled to the bone to think about what that's like. And today I want to plead with you, with everything that's in me, if you have not yet said yes to the grace of Jesus, please don't delay another day. Please don't delay another day. Jesus offers you forgiveness and grace and he offered himself as a substitute so you don't have to pay the penalty for your sins and your mistakes and your rebellion. Jesus paid it all. Don't resist him any longer. We should pray. Would you bow your heads? Jesus, I'm so grateful that you are full of grace and truth. I'm so thankful that at Christmas time uh, we celebrate your coming the first time as a baby. Just so innocent, so, so small. 
and yet not at all insignificant. But I'm so aware, Lord, that you are coming again and that every one of us in this room needs to be ready for your second coming. Jesus, thank you for offering yourself as a sacrifice for sin. Thank you, Jesus, for loving us enough to die so that we could be reconciled to the Father. And Jesus, this morning, as we just take a moment to pray, will you wrap us in your blanket of grace? And can I ask you just to keep your eyes closed for just a couple of seconds? If you need the grace of Jesus this morning, I would love to be able to pray for you specifically. And this is what I'd like to ask you to do. I'm not going to ask you to come forward or stand or anything like that. I just want to ask you to do something very simple. Would you just look up where you are and catch my eye? And I will know that you want me to pray with you to receive the grace of Jesus. And um, I would love to pray with you. I'm looking over to my left and your right. And if you want prayer, I would love to pray with you. Thank you. If I don't see you, wave at me a little bit and I'll see you. Thank you. Love to pray with you. You looking at me? All right, I'll pray with you too. All right, I'm moving over to my right and your left. Catch my eye if you want me to include you in this prayer. Wave at me a little bit if I don't see you. All right. We had five or six people respond. And, and I'd like us all to just pray this prayer out loud. And I'm joining you that, that caught my eye. I'm just praying for you specifically this morning. And, and would you pray this prayer out loud with everybody from the depths of your heart? Let, let's all pray together. Lord Jesus Christ, I need your grace today. Will you forgive me of my sin? Forgive me of my rebellion. Forgive me of my mistakes. Wash me clean, Jesus. I need a do-over. And I need you to change me from the inside out. So will you do that, Jesus? Wrap me in the warm blanket of your grace. Amen. Amen. All right, let me give you some next steps if you're taking notes. Go ahead and be seated. Real simple. First of all, fill your mind with truth, friends. Fill your mind with truth. We all have these things that just go over in our minds, playlists that just play over and over and over, lies that you've been told, lies that you've believed, the lie that this isn't hurting anybody. Replace the lies with truth. Like Dean said, get into the scripture, fill your mind with truth. It's going to change everything. It will set you free from your prison. And secondly, say yes to grace. We had, I don't know, five or six this morning that said yes to grace in this service and about eight in first service. Thank you, Lord, for that. And, uh, and then sing. I hope you have been worshiping this Christmas season. I hope you've been singing. I've been singing Christmas songs more than I ever have. Uh, man, he set us free. We owe him so much more. But sing, guys, sing.